Walter Sports Bar is the spot to watch the NFL in the Navy Yard neighborhood. They preset all indoor TVs and seat first come, first served. Visit waltersdc.com slash NFL for more information. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing a line drive, base hit center field. That will score Kirk to third and holding is Varsho, the trail runner, as Young fires into Massis on the mound for the cutoff. Ernie Clement with an RBI single, 5-0 Toronto here in the sixth inning. Three straight hits to start the frame. Maybe Jackson could end it here, and the Blue Jays get a series win. He comes set. Runners lead second and third, 3-2 pitch, swung on, popped up. Foul off third. Espinal has a play. He's under it, makes the catch, and the game is over. The Blue Jays finish off their homestand with a victory over the Nationals for Blanks for the sixth time this year. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, August 31st, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Rogers Center in Toronto. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So the Nats on Wednesday wrapped up a 5-4 and four road trip with a 7-0 loss at the Toronto Blue Jays, ending the Nats' streak of five consecutive series victories. The Nats ended up losing two of the three games in this series. This was what you call a ho-hum loss. There have not been many ho-hum losses for the Nats lately. There have not been many losses, period, for the Nats lately. They now are 24 and 14 over their last 38 games for the season now are 62 and 72. Uh, Ho-hum, Mark. You know, we got used to the ho-hum loss the last two seasons, but not so much lately. And I guess you could say what had been normal now has become abnormal. Did show up on Wednesday, but in a strange way, that does make you recognize the progress that the Nats have made here. Yeah, this one felt so out of character, Al, for the last month plus. But there just not have not been games like this. They've been blown out a few times, but it's usually because a close game turned into a blowout late with some reliever on the mound who they had to leave in because other guys weren't available, something like that. I mean, this one, they were down early. They never mounted any kind of offensive charge. The lead just kind of slowly kept building, or the deficit kept building, and they just were never really in it. And it did feel very much out of character for this team. And I agree. I think that is a sign of just how far they've come. And yeah, we could talk about this one game as not being anything all that interesting, but it's hard at the end of all this to look back at what they just did on the road trip and what they've done now 
for a month and a half and feel anything but still positive about the bigger picture. So yeah, you're going to have days like this along the way. I don't think it's reflective of anything in a broader sense, though. No. I mean, as we all know, over 162, there will be clunkers. The issue the last few years had been that the clunker had been like something you saw a lot of. We have not seen a lot in the way of the clunker lately. This was, though, a clunker. Very little hitting for the Nats on Wednesday. They scored no runs, totaled just five hits, worked just one walk, went 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position. The Blue Jays starting pitcher, Chris Bassett, eight scoreless innings. There just was not happening against Bassett in this game. Two of the Nats' five hits came from one guy, Joey Manessis, as the Nats' starting first baseman and number three batter, two for four with a couple of singles. Just one extra base hit for the Nats in this game. Jacob Young, he is the Nats' starting center fielder and number nine batter, one for three with a double, although (laughs) he then got picked off at second base. So even the best thing that the Nats did offensively in this game turned out to be not such a good thing. Against Bassett over eight innings, only one plate appearance with the runner in scoring position, and they lost the second one because of that aforementioned pickoff where maybe at least they had a chance of something with C.J. Abrams at the plate and Jacob Young, who's very fast, leading off second base. Kind of a careless mistake by him. Rookie mistake, you want to call it that. They've had too many of these, though, lately. They've done a lot of good things, but they're getting picked off way too much right now. But you know, we saw Chris Bassett last year with the Mets. He was kind of successful against them, but boy, he was in complete control of this one. They had really no chance. They had nothing going, not a lot of hard contact, not a lot of deep counts. I mean, he, you know, you go eight innings, you're doing something right. You're very efficient to go eight innings on 110 pitches. And this was just one of those games that you just, I suppose, tip your proverbial cap to him or say, why were the at-bats so bad against a guy that maybe they could have had a little more success against? This reminded me of some of the Nats games against Sandy Alcantara last year, where like one guy is just owning you. Bassett threw a ton of strikes in this game, lasted for a long time in the game. It just, you know, brought me back to some not so fond memories uh, from last season. Jacob Young in this game, though, did make another nice defensive play. Bottom of the second, a good looking diving catch of a leadoff lineout by Ernie Clement to right center field. Of course, uh, Young had the big outfield assist in the Nats win on Tuesday night. Speaking of outfield assists, how about the assist from Jake Alou in this game? So Alou in this game was the Nats starting left fielder and number six batter. Did go 0 for 4, but he had an outfield assist, bottom of the third. Corbin the lefty throws, and a blast deep left field. Down the line toward the corner, Alou on the go, looks for a carom, and it's high off the wall. The throw towards second, Schneider comes in, the tag by Vargas is in time for the out! And Jake Alou has his first career outfield assist. He guns down Schneider trying to stretch into a double, and that's out number one here in the third inning. Jake Alou, known more as an infielder, doing a heck of a job on that uh, carom off the wall for the outfield assist on Wednesday. And I mentioned the other night about the odd perspective we have here in the press box down the left field line and how I actually appreciated it on the Jacob Young 300-foot throw to the plate. This was another rare example where it was nice to watch from this perspective because it happened right below us to see, first of all, how well he played the carom off the wall for a guy who doesn't have a lot of experience doing that, and then fired a strike from there to second base. And it's funny, you watch him at second base and you think to yourself, this guy doesn't have that great of an arm necessarily. He's not real forceful at turning double plays, but he does have the ability to make a really strong throw from left field to second base. So good on him for that. It's a tricky thing. I talked to him about it the other day. When you're essentially an infielder who's learning how to play outfield as a part-time player out there, you have to be careful not to adjust your throwing mechanics too much. It is a different throwing motion typically for an outfielder versus an infielder. 
But if you are going to play both positions as a utility man, generally they don't want you to mess around with that because they don't want your mechanics thrown off when you do go back to the infield. And so it can make it difficult and sometimes awkward looking throws. But all the credit in the world, Jake Alou, that was a really strong looking throw, no matter the mechanics and looking comfortable out there in the outfield, which is not an easy thing to do. And it brings to mind a few things I know for me. So with Alou, you know, if he long term is not an everyday player, but like a utility guy, an off the bench guy, if he can play both a good second base and a good left field and maybe a good third base too, I mean, that's great defensive versatility. So if he is showing himself to be a capable left fielder, there's real value in that. The other thing is, you know, with Alou having the outfield assist on Wednesday, Young having the diving catch on Wednesday, the outfield assist on Tuesday night, this is why we want to see these young guys play because we don't know what they can do and we can't be pleasantly surprised. And so I think it's good. Like they're getting good, valuable experience and we're seeing some good things here. So hopefully that leads to us seeing even more of these guys. I know you can't play everyone every day. Like we didn't see Drew Miller start a game in this series, but like this is good. Seeing these young guys start and play is uh, where the Nats still should be, even with the unexpected success here lately. We mentioned C.J. Abrams with him batting when we saw Jacob Young get picked off at second base. You know, Abrams has done some good things lately. I did want to mention this, though. He's not having a very good month of August. He went 0 for 4 on Wednesday. So he had the great July. Here is the C.J. Abrams slash line for this month, which, of course, is almost over. Batting average at 229 on base percentage of 270, a slugging percentage of 376. It does feel like Abrams has been better than that this month, but I think it is worth noting he was awesome in July. This month has not gone in that same way. This month actually has been more in line with the months prior to July as opposed to what he did in July. Yeah, it's funny if not for you saying those stats and you asked me, what do you think he's hitting for the month? I would have said not nearly as good as July, but I would not have had the numbers that low across the board. Maybe that's evidence that the hits he has produced the things he has done have been big moments. Think of the the home run at Yankee Stadium, of course, was big. The stolen bases that he keeps compiling. So we probably tend to remember the good things he's done because they've been meaningful, not just, you know, tack on hits late in games that don't matter. But yeah, I, I mean, that's important for a guy who's sort of coming into his own right now. You have a great breakthrough month. Everybody's paying attention to you. Can you now sustain that? And when you do slip a little bit here, as he has, can you rediscover it and not close out the season where now all of a sudden we're saying, well, he had one good month in there, but that was it. No, you don't want that. You want him to finish this thing strong. And I'll be interested to see how he and a lot of guys play in September. It's really interesting because this should be the time of year that we're talking about. Everybody's dragging and boy, these are the dog days of August and we're not quite close enough to the end of the season to see the finish line yet. And yet the team is playing so well that I think we don't really notice individually when guys are struggling to some extent or forgetting about the fact that they're pretty worn down right now. This is 10 games in four cities. I know officially the road trip is five and four. I'm counting Williamsport in that because it was away from home. It was the first of four cities they went to. They have not been back to DC ever since. That's a grind at this time of year. They've been playing great, winning games, but I've got to believe that somewhere deep inside this, they're feeling it physically and mentally right now, having just gone through this gauntlet. Yeah. And you dig a little deeper. Lane Thomas is not having a great August, not as bad as Abrams' August, but Lane, the last two months really, has not been what he had been prior to that. 
Riley Adams, who had been like sensational off the bench, he now is slumping in his recent opportunities to play. Going back to Millis, so I know we talked about this a little bit a few shows ago. Do you think we're going to see him start games? Like it is kind of an odd deal here that you have three catchers. We on Wednesday had the thing of K-Bert Ruiz as the DH, Adams as the catcher. What do you think the outlook is on trying to play Drew Millis here? We will see him. I would bet we'll see him once this weekend, four-game series against the Marlins. I don't think you're going to see him nearly as much as the other two. I mean, the whole idea is to get Cabert Ruiz at bats, to get Riley Adams at bats, and they're both in the lineup for this game. So, you know, there's only so many you can have spread around. They want to see him, obviously. I think his presence here is more about giving Davey the ability to maneuver things, to play both of the others, to pinch run for one of them or use one as a pinch hitter, that kind of thing. So I think it's more about that. But yeah, I would bet that Coming off a long road trip, Adams has caught a lot here lately. Like you said, I think he's won for his last 21 now. He could probably use more of an extended break. So I would not be surprised if one of these four games against the Marlins, we see Millis make his debut behind the plate. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. If you've been thinking about getting new windows, now is the time. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Hey, Nats Chat. If you need tickets to see Sting perform this Sunday night at Wolf Trap, make sure to check out the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the USA for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy, so that way you know exactly what to expect when you show up. Grab the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT, that's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Here's the one-two to Cruz, and a breaking ball comes up and hits the top of his helmet. That's a breaking ball, and it caught all of the helmet. Didn't catch any of his face, and you hope that Dylan Cruz is okay. This is the number four prospect in all of baseball. He's been in the minor leagues for less than a month. Comes out of the game here in Binghamton on this Tuesday night in the opener. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played on Wednesday. Dylan Cruz did not participate in Harrisburg's game on Wednesday against the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. This after, on Tuesday, he left the game early, took a breaking ball to the helmet on a hit-by-pitch in the third inning. 
left that game early. Here's a quote that he told Sam Dykstra from MLB Pipeline, quote, after sleeping on it, I feel good today. They're giving me the day today just to be cautious and just to get another day of rest. I'll be ready for tomorrow, end quote. Now back to Mark and Al. Here's the pitch. Swing a line drive, right center field. That's going to get down for a hit. Kirk will score. Heading for third is Clement. Thomas's throw is offline, and so the batter Espinal will take second. 3-0 Toronto, RBI single for Santiago Espinal. Well, the Nats' starting pitcher in this uh, 7-0 loss at the Blue Jays on Wednesday was Patrick Corbin, and uh, he was not good. He officially allowed six runs in five innings. He gave up 10 hits, four doubles, and six singles. Did have five strikeouts versus one walk. Did throw a pretty good number of strikes. 96 pitches, 60 strikes versus 36 balls. But this outing was yet another instance of Corbin giving up a lot of hits. You know, we've had so many Patrick Corbin conversations these last three seasons. And inevitably, it does come down to, or does come back to, the guy gives up a boatload of hits. And we had that in this game on Wednesday. You know, Patrick Corbin now, for this season, has allowed the most hits in the majors at 183. His ERA for the season now is at 490 over 27 starts. And if you look at the decline of Corbin these last four seasons, so right now, Major League Worst 183 hits allowed. Corbin last season gave up a Major League Worst 210 hits. Corbin for the 2021 season gave up the fourth most hits in the majors, 192. Corbin in the uh, COVID-shortened 2020 season gave up a Major League Worst 85 hits. He is tracking toward leading the majors in most hits allowed for a third time in four seasons and finishing in the top four for a fourth consecutive season. Man, (laughs) that is rough. And just remember, this is not who he was in 2019. He was the strikeout guy. He was the not pitch to contact guy. And instead, he has morphed into the pitch to contact guy. And at times, it's worked and he's had some success with some good defense behind him getting ground balls. But there are other days and against a good lineup like this one, the Blue Jays, I mean, 10 plus hits. This is the sixth time this year he's given up 10 plus hits in a start. There aren't a lot of starters who are allowed to stay in a game long enough to give up 10 plus hits and six plus runs allowed. This stat caught me 22nd time in 89 starts over the last three years that he has given up six plus runs. Nobody else has done it more than 15 times. Again, most pitchers like that would not be given as many opportunities as Corbin has, but that's like 25% of his starts over the last three years. He's given up six or more runs. So while there's been some incremental progress and some decent games sprinkled in here, the bigger picture, it hasn't really changed that much. He is a pitch to contact guy. And too often that contact has led to hits and runs in bunches. Well, the Nats bullpen on Wednesday, two Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three innings. Uh, Andres Machado, he officially allowed a run in two innings. Jose A. Ferrer tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth. But the most significant development regarding the Nats bullpen on Wednesday, Tanner Rainey has joined AAA Rochester as part of his minor league rehab assignment. So presumably the uh, Tanner Rainey minor league rehab assignment is wrapping up here. He, of course, is yet to pitch in a major league game this season due to Tommy John surgery. He underwent on August 3rd, 2022. 
it is seeming like we are going to see Tanner Rainey pitch for the Nats in September, is it not? Yes, everything is tracking in the right direction for that. I think the one hurdle really left for him they want to make sure he crosses is pitching back-to-back days because if you're going to be in a big league bullpen, you have to be able to do that. So I would hope that we're going to see that here within the next week. I could see him spending the week in Rochester, and if everything goes well after that, maybe they are ready to call him back up. And it's important, you know, not so much to try to get a lot out of him the rest of this season, but I think psychologically it's important for him to make it back to complete the whole rehab process. And number two, to do so and feel good about the state of his arm and the state of his pitching. If you can do all that, you go into the winter thinking, okay, typical normal winter for me now. And I come next spring feeling like I'm good to go. And we know how volatile bullpen performance is year to year. As good as the back end of the Nats bullpen has been here lately, you don't know who next year is going to continue that and who's going to fall off a cliff. So the more quality options you have, healthy options that you have, the better. And I mean, there's potentially a very interesting spring training coming up from the Nats bullpen perspective, where you have a lot of guys with some real back-end experience and big arms, and they're going to have to figure out what the best combination of all that is to piece together a 2024 bullpen. There's going to be somebody who doesn't make the team that probably deserves it. And there's going to be pressure on those who do make the team to keep performing well, because if they don't, there's probably going to be somebody waiting in the wings so they can call up and replace them. It's a giant if, but if all three guys are healthy and if all three guys are doing as they are capable of doing, it is exciting to think about Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan, Tanner Rainey, and what that could look like next year. Now, we know how these things go. It could all blow up, okay? <laughs> like that's how the bullpens are. But all three guys are really talented. Each guy has demonstrated an ability to pitch really well and to potentially have those three guys all firing on all cylinders, what that could look like next year, especially if the Nats are on the rise and we're seeing the likes of Dylan Cruz and James Wood and Cade Cavalli and, you know, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, each guy a year older, a year wiser. It is enticing. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had people like this to talk about in a Nats bullpen in terms of what these guys could be for the next season. You know, it feels like every year, the Nats, from a bullpen standpoint, are playing catch-up and just trying to hold off the boat from overflowing. You know, just because like the bullpen's a problem and you got to make a trade or maybe more than one trade and guys are struggling, guys are getting hurt. Now it feels like maybe you do have some pieces to where you could go into next season with a bullpen that you feel good about. Well, throughout their good years, it felt like they would go into a season with one of two positions they would have to take. Either they needed to go spend money on veteran relievers and often overpay and give multiple years to guys who turned out shouldn't have been getting those kind of contracts. Or they would go into the season with a lot of question marks and decide, well, we'll wait it out. We'll see where things stand in July. And then when it becomes clear that we need help, as they often did, we'll go trade prospects in exchange for guys having good seasons. And this could be the case, you know, as you said, there's a lot still that can change between now and then. But this might be the rare case where they would go into the offseason and feel like, yeah, we could add a piece or two, but we don't really have to address this in a major way. We don't have to spend big money or give multi-year deals to free agents. And in theory, not also then have to worry about fixing it over the course of a season. Now, is that all going to work out? Who knows? Chances are it's not. And somebody from that group is either going to be hurt or ineffective, and it's just not going to be the same thing. But they at least have positioned themselves to have a lot of options there 
good options and experienced options pitching late in games that makes you about as excited as you're ever going to be or have been in a long time about the state of this bullpen. Another non-game related item with the Nats from Wednesday. So the Nats put out their probable starting pitchers for this upcoming four-game series against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. Josiah Gray is listed as the probable starter for uh, Game 4 Sunday afternoon at 135. But I saw what you tweeted that, you know, it's not definite that Josiah will be starting that game. So what exactly is the deal here with Josiah Gray? So after his last start, I think everybody saw that it wasn't very good. And this is kind of a continuation of where things have been headed here all month. And you heard Davey Martinez say, that he wanted to sit and talk with the staff and look at the training staff. And is there anything that they might need to do differently, whether giving them some more time to recover, skipping a start, whatever that might be. So they penciled him in for the Sunday game, but he is scheduled to throw a bullpen session, the typical between start session on Friday in DC. And they're all going to watch that one, gather some material and talk to Josiah after that and see where they think he's at. And if they think there's any reason to believe that he might benefit from a little time off, skip him, something like that. I think they are willing and able to do that. So, you know, we've had this stretch here where it's all three game series and the six man rotation meant that it was very clear cut. These three guys face this team. The next three guys face that team. That's how it's done. This is a four game series finally with an off day after it and then another off day a few days later. So they can maneuver it a little bit if they wanted. They could bring Mackenzie Gore back on normal rest to pitch Sunday if they want to go that route. They also could call somebody else up, make a change there. The options that they have right now, and I do think we're going to see these guys at some point. I don't know if it'll be quite yet. Uh, Jackson Rutledge at AAA, who is a former first-round pick, who everybody's wanted to see for a while. He's not pitching great down there, and he's not going deep in games. So I don't want people to get too excited about this, of what he might be when he comes up. But I do think we'll see him at some point. And Thaddeus Ward, a name we haven't really talked about in a long time, the Rule 5 pick who's been on the IL for a while with shoulder inflammation, he's been rehabbing and stretching out to be a starter. And he threw four innings the other night in Wilmington, the idea being that he will make some starts here in September. So I think they would like for him to make one more and get to five innings before they do that. But if they get to Sunday and they really do feel like they need somebody, I suppose he could be an option as well for that. I want to throw one other thing out just because we're kind of going off topic today. People were asking me about this the other day when the news from the Angels came out, putting all these guys on waivers, including Lucas Giolito. And I got tons of questions about, hey, why don't the Nats go bring him back, former draft pick of theirs, and have him finish out the year? Maybe he could help you out. And maybe he's a guy you'd want to look at re-signing in the offseason. Well, I'll just put it this way. The contract is on. If you claim a guy off waivers, you pick up the rest of his contract. So he'd be owed about $1.7 million for the rest of this season. Are you going to pay $1.7 million for him to make five, six starts in September and still be a free agent at the end of all that? If he was peak Lucas Giolito, who was like a Cy Young contender with the White Sox a couple of years ago, maybe I could see that. If you were convinced that he was a primary target of yours in free agency this winter and you could get the head start on that by already getting him in now and having a chance to sign him before he could actually negotiate with other teams, I could see that. But I don't think either of those scenarios is true and is going to play out. So while, yes, they do need some innings in September to cover for young guys that they're going to skip or shut down, I think they're going to find other ways to do it than spend that kind of money on a guy like Giolito who hasn't been pitching all that great 
and is about to become a free agent on top of all that. Yeah, the truth about Lucas Giolito is that he has been maybe not a bust, but he has not been what he was drafted to be. He's been about a league average pitcher over his career. Some good seasons, yes, but some rough seasons too. And he's bounced around now a little bit. And the career has not gone the way that I think a lot of people would have hoped that it would gone when the Nats took him a few years ago. It's funny, I've seen and experienced this many times over the years. There is this tendency for sports fans, and you know, I'm a fan too, so I'm sure I've done this, but we're like, you yearn for the guy who used to be here, and you remember things in a way that isn't exactly accurate. Like, you pine for something that never actually was. This happened not that long ago with the Wizards, where there were Wizards fans wanting the Wizards to bring back John Wall. Even though John Wall is a shell of what he was at his peak, and even though his peak I mean, the team never made it out of the second round with him, okay? Like, he had some good seasons, but, you know, he and Bradley Beal didn't always get along, and it didn't end all that well, and people were, like, clamoring for something that never really was as good as they remembered it to be, and I kind of feel like that with this Lucas Giolito stuff, because I've seen that, you know, people saying, well, bring back Giolito and bring back Reynaldo Lopez, as if these guys were, like, two cornerstones (laughs) of the Nats rotation. It's like, nah, that really wasn't the case. So, you know, I get the thought process. I don't think it's crazy. But yeah, I you know, if you really want Lucas Giolito, you can sign him this offseason if you really want him back that bad. But I don't know that you should, you know. Uh, he has not been what he was supposed to be. He's getting older now. And, uh, you know, he's becoming a guy, like I said, who's bounced around a little bit. He's been on some teams now. Right. And let's also remember that when he was here, it didn't go all that well, didn't live up to the potential. And they gave up on him pretty quickly. There was a feeling that, yeah, we don't actually think he is what we thought he was going to be. We better put him on the market before he loses all his value. And that was the whole thing. Giolito and Lopez and Dane Dunning for Adam Eaton. On the day of the trade, people thought that was insane to give up that much for one veteran position player. But I remember talking to people in the organization and the thinking was, we're not so sure that Lucas Giolito is actually going to become the pitcher that we believed he was going to be. Now he did eventually, but he had a complete overhaul with the White Sox, changed his throwing motion, everything. I think there's a feeling that if you're Giolito, do you even want to come back to the Nationals where things did not go well? They gave up on you. Maybe you worry that they're going to, you know, take you back to the picture you were prior to all of that. So, you know, it's great to think, oh, hey, bring him back and convince him to stay as a free agent. Well, even if he was pitching well, I'm not sure this is the place he would want to be. And why would he agree to re-sign before ever becoming a free agent for the first time in his career anyway? There's too many obstacles there. I don't think it makes sense for either side of the equation at this particular time. Yeah. And then there are the Angels who are another conversation. Great job not trading uh, Shohei Otani. Boy, that decision worked out. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website, natschatpodcast.com, in which you can buy a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. Next up for the Nats is that four-game series against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park. Game one Thursday night at 7.05. Joanna Doan will be the Nats starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 
Now throwing toward the plate. The tag and he's out! He's out! He's out! Unbelievable throw by Jacob Young for a double play and the inning is over! Just want to give a quick shout out to a member of Nats Twitter at DryWNats. He uh, sent me a DM on Twitter last month, July 5th, and said, quote, In today's pod, you asked, who could step up and be a decent non-star piece? I'm going to suggest Jacob Young. He's only a double A, but he started the year at Wilmington and picked up right where he left off after he got called up. I could see him being one of those pieces, end quote. Well, just want to give props where props are due. This listener was all over it a month and a half before Jacob Young got called up. That looked like no chance. On the fly, guns down Alejandro Kirk at the plate. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.